Ten years ago, they killed his wife. It's a big deal. Point it, hold the trigger, and boom, somebody dies. There's still time to save her. Time travel. Stay here, Walker. In my future, you're dead. Murder is forever. Surprise. Until now, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Time Cop. Rated R. Starts Friday, September 16th. People magazine calls Time Cop clever and original. Is this the hottest thing or what? Suspenseful and fun, with effects that will leave you breathless. A breakthrough role for Jean-Claude Van Damme. Time Cop, rated R. Now play. Hey, now everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks podcast. Uh, if we get this wrong, don't worry, we'll travel back in time and, uh, I don't know, occupy the same space, kill ourselves. Um, I'm Trevor Anderson, sitting over Jason Brugard. He's going to let you know what we're talking about. Talking about Time Cop tonight, the movie that's probably most famously remembered for the scene in which a half-nude Van Damme does the splits on his kitchen countertops. So if you were an 80s, 90s kid like we are, were, uh, then you probably or, have seen this movie. Or all the moms in the neighborhood. Right. And um, that's, you know, was I remember seeing, uh, I think it was Hard Target with my buddy and his mom. And we came out of the movie. That one's a little she, rougher, though, than this. She asked us if we liked it. And we just we just loved it. And we said, you know, what'd you think? And she said, well, he didn't take his shirt off. And so she was a little bit upset in her eyes. The sexual content in that is, is a bit rough for like, isn't that so weird about the 90s, though, you know? Oh, they just mix sex and violence like crazy. I mean, that was just the, the mixture for most Well, this most movie, movies. too, is gratuitous, right, in the beginning of this, when he has sex with his wife, and it's just, uh, it's like, why is this in here? <laughs> oh, it's it's one oh, of the most 90s parts of the movies. And show his body and stuff. It, it's it's so 90s, it's got a soft-core, mm -hmm. soft-lit sex scene in yeah. the first 10 minutes. But that was what movies in the 90s, especially a hard R, or an R at all, that's what that rating meant. TNA and violence. And you, I told, and it, that's what it meant. I've told you this before, but on my block when we would have sleepovers as a kid and we would try to choose the movie to watch, inevitably this question would come up. Of well, course. does it have tits in it? And that would be the deciding factor if oh. we were going to watch Ski School over, you know, Time exactly. Cop or this or that. Listen, look, my mom, like we had a lot of movies and stuff, but my mom had L.A. Story on VHS and we would there's, watch there's that because there's tits in it. Yes. I've seen it. And I love that movie, but I just remember as a kid, like not really caring so much. I'm not even getting some of the jokes because I was like, I don't really understand what's this joke. But uh, but then the tits were in it. Worth I mean, it. I saw 16 Candles when I was way too young and I just recalled that there was tits in it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, right. There were a lot of movies like that. Yeah. This movie is a lot more than, than sex scene and tits, and it's about uh, the probably the biggest film that Jean-Claude Van Damme ever did. This was 1994, released in uh, September this of This is Universal Soldier, right, would be his, his biggest movies, I think. In terms of a domestic gross, though, this was the first time that he got in front of Seagal. Seagal had fallen uh, earlier in the year with On Deadly For Ground, sure. which well, grossed I about $38 million, I mean, this is and like this went forty-four. Is this his highest gross? Did Universal Soldier's do more than this or i think they're about even on um, uh, a worldwide level but this did better anyhow those are the only two domestic triple digits that he did right street fighter is very close but yes I'm pretty sure right and um this is right i'm street fighter is a couple years after this and um that, that would no, be no, no. street fighter would be a couple months after this street fighter was released in on christmas um, day of 94 oh you're right 
Yeah, uh-huh. so this was that universal uh, uh-huh. trifecta that he had there. Uh, this really, uh, you talk about sudden death, I think was a couple, was a couple years, it was like late I am, I know, I was thinking of that. What I was trying to say was that this was the uh, the big time for Van Damme, and there'd be, you know, everything after this was downhill, but it really culminated in his uh, sp- his uh, spot on Friends. Didn't it? Yeah. And that was this mm-hmm. year, I believe, in 94 as well. No, no, no. Uh, that was no, that a couple was years, years later. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was after Sudden Death. That's what I was trying to say, anyways. <laughs> Well, he reached, but Sudden Death was a big movie as well, right? This I mean, is the, the movie that the, put him so, in the mainstream, though. Honestly, I mean, a lot of movies were building up to this, but this is the one that uh, broke him through. Universal with general Soldier, audiences. I okay. No, I don't know. I think Universal Soldier was pretty well received by general audiences as well. I, I mean, I really think he he starts with. I mean, you can go back before that even, um, but but his the '90s is his heyday. You know, I'll guarantee you that the end of the 90s is a complete shit show <laughs> with all these guys, Seagal, Van Damme. It's true uh, of all of them. Yeah, Schwarzenegger, right. Stallone. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it was that era. I mean, when you guys got guys like Nicolas Cage and Keanu Reeves. But the movie is undeniable, though. Isn't that interesting? It's really even to me. I'm huge fans of these guys. But if you take these movies, and you just look at them, you know, and we'll do. Here's Van Damme's 90s, you know, list. We got Lionheart. All right. Death Warrant. Okay. Double Impact. In- good. good. Universal Soldier. Fantastic. Good. Nowhere yeah. to Run. Movie I like a lot. Yep, me too. Um, you know, Hard Target. I fantastic. think it's fantastic. Time Cop, I think is great. Street Fighter. All right. It's interesting. Uh, Sudden Death, I think is great. And then you get into The Quest and yeah. Maximum Risk, which I still, okay. you know, I like them, but okay. Then you get into then you double get in the team, crazy and era. then you're getting into knockoff, and you're getting into Legionnaire, and then you're getting into, you know, uh, Universal Soldier of the Return. Universal Soldier of the Return, and then in the Inferno, and then, uh, you know, then you get Replicant, and I mean, by the 2000s, you're fucked. Because then you got the here. order, and you got derailed, and you're done. Well, you Except know you got in hell. hell, it's fucking awesome. It I is know. good. I have to put that in there because In Hell's fucking awesome. If you haven't seen In Hell, Van Damme movie, um, even if you don't like, you know, Van Damme, I I think that's a great movie. That's a good prison flick. That really is a yes. good movie. Uh, and I like Wake of Death I, I, the following year, which I know you weren't the biggest fan of. But I, I think Wake that has death, some, but... some value to it. Um, but the, none of these Fair were going to ever compete to these years. In this 94, this era, you know, when, when this comes out, he's on top of the world. This is the number one film in the country for two mm-hmm. weeks. Outgrosses Seagal, who's his closest competitor. He's now going to think he's going to be launched. And it all falls apart so quickly after this. And the sad thing is, in this film, I think he gives his most assured performance up to this point. His acting to the, you know, outside of a couple, there's a goofy point where they say, you never said, uh, you know, you're supposed to say, I know that. And he goes, I know that, you know, yeah. and it's, it makes him, it's just <laughs> it embarrassing. Work. I don't know it's why that's in flat. there. Um, but in terms of humanizing him and, and giving a performance, well, I liked it a lot. I mean, I know why that's in there. That's a plot point, right? Those, the, he, those guys are friends and that friendship has to travel of course. In, in, later on in the movie, right? It has to. It's important. So that's the only reason that's in there. It's a I think silly that's a line reading, fix. though. It's a quick it, fix. Yeah, that could have been an overdub somewhere. It is, but well, I don't know about that. But in the in the script, anyways, it's needed for otherwise. I don't know. They're com- they're trying to build some camaraderie between those two characters. It's it's shit, like you say. I I agree, but that's what it's there for. Like most kids of our era, we came to Van Damme movies, uh, most likely through VHS because we were too young to get into the first ones. Uh, but around this time, we I was seeing them left and right, although I have to say 
I did not see Time Cop in a theater. I caught this on Laserdisc. I rented this on Laserdisc. That's how far back this goes. And I know it was a mm-hmm. universal release, but oddly enough, my digital copy starts with a WB logo, not universal. Did yours have a universal logo? What'd you watch this on? Um, I mean, I don't remember who... Um, I don't know. I don't this remember. Is definitely I, I mean, a universal I had, I had, release. I had the VHS. Um, yeah, was the home video release a universal? Hundred percent. I had the the laser. I ended up buying the laserdisc years later. Uh, and I, you know, Universal had a certain type of print for their laserdisc covers when they they were the only ones doing widescreen at the time. Um, so that's how I initially saw this. But I had this taped off of pay-per-view for years as well, you know, because uh, we had that black box where we got all the free pay-per-view. Um, so when it came about, taped it off there, and then years later, um, acquired the Laserdisc. Wait, wait when, when, when did you see the Warner home video logo? Just recently. I purchased this on a digital platform. On Yeah, it's uh, Warner now. Yeah, they must have bought the rights to this now. Um, I watched this on YouTube. I didn't see anything in front of it, except for Universal. Um, because I watched it on YouTube. I, I it was it almost has to be a legitimate release on there. So I don't know. It is released currently by Warner, though they have the rights. With the VHS box, if you go back and look, it's definitely a universal release because this was. Part I know. Of I want to say I remember the uh, um tape or the the cellophane having the universal yep print on it. You know, hundred percent. Uh, that's interesting. I, sure. I so, thought you meant the laser discs had it on it. Uh, no, this this WB was on really a digital confused, copy. Yeah, I was like, how the fuck did it was it a universal release with the war? Yeah, yeah, that makes more sense because it is a now. I think um, I don't know how that all went down, but like ten years ago, it, it Warner has it. They put out the Blu-ray. When the film starts, it starts with that score, which is a very haunting score to me. I actually really like the score to this movie. It almost sounds like a horror film in some places. Yeah. Does it strike you too? Almost like a horror film. Uh, yeah, that's kind of almost like a, a, a Peter Himes type thing, right? He always he has very interesting scores, or like, you know, I don't know. Is the guy that uh, did this this Mark Isham guy? Does he work with him a lot? Uh, I don't think he has. Mark Isham most notably did the Bad Boys score and does a lot more mm-hmm. upbeat things. Um, oh, I mean, John Debney did the Sudden Death score, which is fantastic. Uh, and I think he did the Relic score as well. So I don't think that they collaborated ever again. But I think this is a pretty solid uh, work from from Isham, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. Himes typically, well, as everyone knows, if you've ever seen any of his movies, he, he you know, lights dark. And um, his movies kind of have a dark tone to him. Yeah, they're all dark themed. He doesn't do mm-hmm. a lot of comedy. I did Running Scared. Uh, back in the day, and I think he did a, another comedy that wasn't all that successful. But we interviewed the guy, and, and he did talk about shooting this and end of days, and that when he would send in the dailies, that they would always try to over-lighten the, the color correction, and he was keeping things very dark. And this movie is very dark. I watched this on a rainy day, and I realized Peter Himes' movies are meant for rainy days because it's typically <laughs> very kind of wet and dark in his movies and you can almost feel the moisture in the air and it just plays perfectly for me on a wet rainy day watching uh time cop again 
made me want to watch some of his other films. Uh, you know, go back and look at End of Days again, or, or even Sudden Death. After this, I didn't I, watching this movie. I wanted to pair it with something else that got me because I got excited watching this. I thought this is how sure. made I used you to wet. love. I, I you, you know, basically, you know, yeah. I, was, I was saying it was rainy outside. You know, <laughs> read between the lines here. And uh, I was thinking, what can I pair this with? And I ended up watching Out for Justice afterwards, which was a great movie to follow this up with. Uh, I, I was gonna, fucking love Out for Justice. Yeah, it really was. That movie a great looks movie. fantastic too. But that's a. But that movie is bright. <laughs> it is compared to this. So did it blind you? I mean, going from this to that. <laughs> and to be honest, Out for Justice, even though the the theme and the material of it is very heavy-handed, it's actually a lot funner than Time Cop oh, by in a far. lot of ways. Because uh, this is, takes itself um, very seriously. And in lesser <laughs> hands, this might have been an absolute shit show. But that opening sequence where the guy goes to the, the Senate to ask for the funding sets mm-hmm. the tone for the movie that this is going to be a serious movie and I love that sequence. How, what do you feel about that opening sequence where they set up the Ron Silver character and the the time travel aspect and, and all that? Do you think that works for you? Yeah, it uh, doesn't work at the end of the movie, but yes, it works fantastically here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie has more plot holes than I don't a movie with a lot of plot holes. I don't know. Um, yeah, I love the opening of this movie. I and I really like the introduction of uh, of um, Jean Claude Van Damme. This with the mall with his uh, girl or with his wife, I should say, and with how she, obviously she's pregnant. That shouldn't come as a shock to anyone that watches it. They don't not do a very good job of uh, you know making that a setup, you know. Um, but he's like playful. He's like, he seems like an all around, like, as you say, like this is him putting his best acting stuff. I think he's really likable in this role. Yeah. And he does the double person again, you know, he's playing two different characters uh, or two different people. To some extent. Yeah. The the double impact thing, the maximum risk thing, something he would do as kind of a trope. He is because he's the, at the beginning of the movie, he's more, he, well, he's, you know, a whole person. And then for the latter half of the, of the film, he's kind of half a man, you know, so to speak. And the, the movie itself is, uh, I would call muscular entertainment, in that it's mounted well. It looks big. It, it's got a lot of uh, veracity to it. The, special, the sound effects are Sensor pumped up. heavy. To, um, yeah, I mean, it's got a gothic look to it in some yeah. sense. I mean, you texted me as we were watching this and said something hilarious. She said, why are the villains straight out of Highlander? And it, it does look <laughs> Everyone's like wearing that. like a, like, well, they're, not, they're not called trench coats. They're like dust coats or whatever, you know, like everyone's wearing like... That and they all have like slick back long hair. They look fucking like Highlanders. Uh, yeah, they they do. Or or some sort of Mad Max reject, you know, with like yeah, why right? is one guy wearing some, like, shin guards? I mean, exactly. What is that it's all like about? some Albert Payune fucking did, like he came in and designed like these characters or something. It's just it's weird as fuck. I don't know. Uh, what's interesting is that Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert, the guys behind uh, you know a lot of things, including. Army of Darkness that we just did, uh, Hercules and Hercules and Xena. They were executive mm-hmm. producers here. And why is Raimi attached to all these Van Damme Universal movies? He is on Hard Target. He is here. It's uh, it's very odd. And what I heard on Hard Target was that Raimi was waiting in the wings in case things went awry to step in and, and get things completed for Universal, which he had no intention of doing because he was the one that suggested bringing Wu over. But there's no way mm-hmm. he's going to step in and replace Himes at any point. So, I just—it's very odd to me that he has attached himself to this well, maybe project. Maybe he's the uh, special sauce that makes some of these Van Damme movies in this era so good. 
wouldn't that be something if it truly was the case there? Um, it kind of is in some degree. I mean, he must have made this. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a uh, more to it than just him, but he's obviously, you know, bringing these movies to light, so to speak. Well, this is absolutely a Peter Himes film, though. I mean, the jump cut editing. Uh, it is, but it isn't. It isn't produced by him, right? So he's. So it is his movie. I mean, this is a comic, but this is really the writer's movie more than anybody else's. This was a comic book um, before it was a movie, so it was kind of somewhat established already. <clears throat> but you're right. This is totally a Peter Hines movie, a hundred percent. But uh, Sam Raimi, as with producers like Spielberg, does this right. Well, he'll he'll be on. Um, a lot of these movies and and they're usually pretty fucking good, right? Like they have good eyes for like what makes a good story, you know, and what, um, and, and also pairing, you know, a director and actors and stuff and, and doing, they're just good producers. And, and Himes is the right man for the job. Like I said before, he, at this point in time, yeah, his jump cut editing is a precursor to the Bourne stuff. At least there's no shaky cam. I wish he would have pulled back a little bit more and so you could see Van Damme doing his thing. But it's just, it's the style that he went with, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's also a stark contrast to that loving camera and that lingering camera work that John Woo did uh, in, in Hard Target, that just kind of mm-hmm. was slow motion and all the slow mo style and the rapid that's editing of Bloodsport. You know, so it's just, was a different style at the time. And I don't think I respected it as much as I do now because. It, it it's hard, you know, when you first see a Peter Himes film, for me at least, I'm always turned off by it. It's always like, I don't know if I got it all and didn't take it in. And then as I rewatch it, I see the mastery and I see the art, the artistry of it as opposed to just trying to gather the information because a lot of it is dis- disorganized to me when I'm watching it on a big screen uh, or a small screen for that matter. But the more I watch it, I know what's coming. I can see the method of it. I mean, even the way he'll start a scene. I mean, it's an establishing shot and then a close-up of two door handles being smashed through, cut to a medium shot of the guys walking to it, cut to a wide shot. You know, it's just, it's very hmm. rapid, but it doesn't, it's not like Michael Bay rapid. It's it's a lot yes, going I never, on. I mean, you're not wrong. You're right about that. I never really noticed that. I mean, I'm thinking about all the other Peter Hines movies right now. and You're, you're right. I never guess I paid that much attention to his style as far as editing goes it's a, it's all over the fucking place and it's disjointed to me but when you watch it later on and you know what mm-hmm. the scene contains you can see what's going on but from an initial point of view it always throws me off i, I get disoriented in the scene very quickly mm-hmm. uh, especially because the sound effect i mean he'll make a sound effect of a door opening as loud as a, a kick or a punch you know so it's a lot of shit to grab your attention <laughs> um but what i do love in this movie absolutely love is the little vignettes the one set in 1869 and the one set in 1929. I mean, I, I love those sequences, particularly that opening sequence in, in the Old West. I mean, they used that as a teaser trailer for months leading up to this movie's release. Do you recall that? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's not as I have anything to really do with much of anything. <laughs> it, it, yeah, who who is that guy and why the ripple? I mean, was he sent back by Ron Silver's character? Well, that's what, that's what I would understand. This is why I say that perhaps like the beginning doesn't make so much sense anymore I, d- I guess i don't know when because the ron silver character is removed right from the past but yet they they go back to the future and that thing is like they're still there but how would they like how did everything fall into place if because then no one would have gone without ro- the senator guy 
they wouldn't have gone back in time to steal the money because they needed the money. By the way, it's how fucking crazy is this? They needed the money for his presidential campaign. <laughs> right, right. I still feel like, like, what the fuck? What, really? Like, Which he's he losing because he doesn't have enough wouldn't money. Wouldn't you just make billions of dollars and then just use that to, like, fuck being president? Who wants that fucking job? Just pay those fuckers. You know, that's what they do now. That's what they did back then. I, You just own all the congressmen. Just fucking, I, it's so weird to me. But, well, yeah. Ron Silver. And I loved, no, my favorite, my favorite part of this fucking movie is when, is when they go to the white supremacy fucking party. Do you see what Yeah, in the back, yeah, in the background, I heard Hysterical. that. Hysterical. Yeah, the news anchors, like, and they just straight face, just like this actual party called like the white supremacy party. They're like, what? Well, it, the weird thing is the <laughs> Who, government was who's funding. campaigning on that? If you listen to that newscast, the government's funding different presidential candidates, and they decided yeah. to fund that presidential candidate, I, but I not know. Ron Silver's. That's that's why it, he's going back in time. This fucking is insane. I know. He might actually be the good guy, right? It's so fucking weird. Well, I, to what, me, like, like the politics of this movie are fucking weird. Tell me, Ron Silver isn't doing an Al Pacino impersonation in this movie? Yes, totally. And when he slams the guy's head into the car and tells him to stop being a sniveling weasel, that is so Al Pacino to me that I feel like Peter Himes directed was, we didn't get Al Pacino, <laughs> so we got gotcha. you. Go for it. And he does a great job. I mean, he's totally serviceable in the role. It's a role that if, if they couldn't get Pacino and Ron Silver, it probably would have fell to Rob Schneider. So it's, it's of that ilk. I don't know about that. I would have, that would be pretty funny. I don't think that would, that would happen. But I love when the Ron Silver character goes back to in time to when the guy is when he's getting basically bought out of the computer company and he's missing out on the billions that are going to follow. Yeah, and they had the when initial he wants control, and, mm-hmm. and he tells him uh, he says, you know, I don't remember being such a pussy basically, and then he says, <laughs> Hey, cut back on the candy bars, will you? You know, it's just I love I those little bits in this dialogue. It, it, it is great. Like, it is so weird that they, they have like this weird time thing in this where it's not even that much time difference, but like his character is completely like 180 degrees different. It's 10 years. You know? It's not even that far. That's what I mean. It's not even that different. And by speaking of which, did you not, when you watch this, and, and even when I was a kid and I watched this, and this would not have been, I probably saw this, I don't know, like 95-ish, right, on home video. Um, maybe 96. I don't know. It was somewhere, no, it was, it was probably 95. And uh, it felt like 2004 felt like, well, that's enough in the future. And everyone's driving around and fucking like Cybertruck knockoffs in this fucking movie. <laughs> it's ridiculous like, yeah. how fucking dumb this shit is. It's like, why did you why did we think this was OK? Like 2004 was enough time in the future for this to work because it was going to be the new millennium and anything past that 2000 mark was going to be the space future is that what it was I, it had to be because all movies did that there was nothing... i just accepted it though i just i can't believe like i'm watching this now and i'm like oh my god this is like fucking uh some of the story choice choices and like uh the things on it just makes zero amount of sense like there's no like was i just that dumb back then because like, i just accepted this back then <laughs> oh, a hook line and sinker i mean i loved it not only accepted it watched it many times and what I did forget was how integral how integral that fielding character is to the story. You know, the partner that he gets matched up with who has no impact on the story whatsoever. I, that. I didn't I, remember how integral she was and how he had to go back to see her in the hospital. And Yeah, I remember the hospital scene. I don't know why I remember that hospital scene. That's the most thing that I remember from a kid from watching this. Um, 
well, I wasn't really a kid, but you know, as a teenager watching this, I remember that hospital for some reason, like him going there to see her and then leaving and then coming back and she's fucking dead. I just remember that. I recalled outside of that kitchen sequence, which was in all the trailers and, you know, it was kind of a running joke, uh, was him <laughs> getting the shit kicked out of him in front of that gothic house at the end. Uh, and the big fight scene and the yeah, explosion and all that. And, in, the, in the rain and all that shit. And how many movies in this mm-hmm. era had a sequence in the climax where two people were clutching onto something and falling and were, you know, somebody was trying to kick them off of it. I mean, every fucking movie had that. And even yeah. this has that sequence. And then he throws her to the lamppost and, you know, goes and does his duties. But that, that ending sequence always played bigger in my mind than it when I watched it this time, I thought it was, you know, the explosion of the how everything, it just, it seemed a little bit smaller and corners may have been cut a little bit to get to, you know, to stick hmm. the landing and get the film going. And, and even the end, the very last shot where he pulls up to his home and everything is set right. Uh, doesn't yeah. hit like it should, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't land for me. It's too happy of an ending. I would have liked to have still seen him, as the gruff, pissed off cop, and maybe the old version of him is the alternate multiverse of him is living. Well, with he still is Sarah, you know, and he still is. But it's it's. Well, I mean, that is who he is. Actually, he's not. He didn't become the other version of him, right? He's still that guy. He doesn't know his son. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. That. He still doesn't trust Matuzak <laughs> so as being his best friend. Yeah, I mean, it's bizarre. He, he missed is, 10 years he's of that still kid's the life. same person. He's still that gruff guy. He's been through all that still. Like, it doesn't change him. Uh, I'm, I'm imagining because he's the one traveling back and forth. So it doesn't change him. It changes everybody else. Ah, it's a weird fucking... This movie doesn't attempt... Actually, it just compounds the problems of, of all the, the time travel stuff. And it doesn't give a shit, which... I half enjoy about this because there's, but at the same time, some of it's really fucking like, it's just like, you guys didn't even try. You didn't even try to cover your tracks. You're just like, fuck it. Well, they give <laughs> this you, is what happens. They give you the rules in the front with the, the speech to the senators, you know, and the rules then, make no sense. And, and, yeah, I know. And then they go They're ahead not even and, rules. and fucking, de- they just destroy those they rules. They just do whatever the fuck they want to do. I mean, I don't even understand. Let, let me, let me do this just for everyone to understand this. They, they're, they're like matter cannot, um, you know, occupy uh, the same what, space. The time travel matter can't occupy the same space, like at the same time, whatever, some fucking weird thing, which makes no sense. What matter, like if I touch you, we're not occupying the same space, but we're the same matter. Like, what, what are you talking about? What matter? Well, if that, we were the same, the same version, matter either, ah, I don't know. I think that they're the same version. You can't touch your old body. It, it just, it, it's a, it's a goofy rule, but it works for the fucking movie. No, it doesn't make sense. They can't. There's no reason why you can't touch the body. You're not occupying the same space. The second I heard that as you a 14 year old, when you, when, I knew that was how they were going to kill the you bad guy. Throws, <laughs> uh, obviously, when you throw someone at someone, they push the other person out of the way, right? They don't occupy the same space. That's not what happens. Not only is that not what happens, but if that were the case, do you know how much skin cells you shed? If you were just around the fucking person and you got a hair on you from them, like, no. It, well, there you go. It makes Thinking no about sense. science and logic. Well, that's not even, there you go. Neither that's of just, this it, has it, to it's do not with even this science. Movie. That's just this is just like what's 
just fact, like positive. Like, like I don't have to be a scientist to figure that out. That this is nonsense. And also, when he throws him at the dude and he turns into the thing, it's fucking awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the special maybe effects. that's why I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? But it, but this is just one of those movies that drives me insane nowadays, especially because I watch it. I just think, God, it's so stupid. I didn't even think about this as a kid. I just loved it. I still love it today, but. God, is that why being an adult just sucks, you know? <laughs> Too much logic, my man. Speaking of adults, let's take a quick break and listen to two adults, Siskel and Ebert, and their thoughts on the film. The next one is the number one picture in the country right now, but unfortunately it's not quite in the same league as Shawshank Redemption. It's called Time Cop, and it stars action hero Jean-Claude Van Damme, and I thought it was pretty silly and not very exciting, with Van Damme playing a national security agent hired to protect the future by going back to the past to protect it. What's the problem Van Damme has to solve? Well, an evil U.S. Senator, Ron Silver, goes back in the past as part of his plan to become President of the United States in the future. So, you got a uh, special NSA briefing coming up. Secret session. It's not for another week. Time travel, someone says... Gets a big laugh. Oh, Christ, you're me. The action in Time Cop is routine. I expected more than this. Who are you? Oh, sent you. What the filmmaker should have done, frankly, is played more to Van Damme's strength, showcasing his great body. He does the splits improbably in the kitchen, but he only has one brief nude scene. Time Cop needs a lot more to score with his audience because the past isn't exciting or funny, and the future is really boring in this film. I like the Back to the Future movies a whole lot more than this. Well, one thing I didn't leave the theater wanting more of was more nude scenes of Jean-Claude Van Damme. But I'll tell you, I know there's supposed to be a kind of a suspension of disbelief in time travel movies, but I can't help myself. I always get caught up in the logic. For I example, know, in this know. movie they say, we can go into the past, but we can't go into the future because the future hasn't happened yet. But after they go into the past, the present is the future, and how can they get back it's to it? It's just Now, what I like, you mentioned Back to the Future, and there's also, there was that movie, Time After well, Time, that's a great, which deals story. with the paradoxes of time travel right. in an intelligent way. Of course. This movie is, it's not travel through time, it's travel through loose threads, because every time you try to figure out how this affects that, it never works and out. And just on the stunt level sequences, they're nothing special. This yeah. is just uh, program material, nothing special. Uh, what I'm saying with Van Damme is he has a real appeal. This guy has the greatest male body in the movies, so you might as well okay, show well, it. What he's looking for probably is the right script and the right director. Hey, listen, and uh, uh, actually, you uh, know... I find him interesting in a lot of I scenes. Have, I, have, I think I he could be in a very I like good movie. Him in double, I think it's Double Impact, where he plays the twins two yeah. films ago. I thought he was a very good... I'm not just giving a knee-jerk dismissal of the guy. I'm just saying this one doesn't work. Okay, so that was a spirited conversation. Siskel wanted more nudity. Ebert wanted a little bit more of everything else. But I think that the special effects in this movie hold up pretty damn well for being from 1994, especially from... Uh, actually, that was the year that they were really, I think, well, turning the corner as well. With the special Forrest, effects, right? Forrest Gump stuff. I mean, the, the one Are that they, doesn't do you, work do for think... me is when he, uh, when he has the green screen in front of the truck. That does not work anymore. Hmm. That looks terrible to me. But I thought the, the morphing stuff, and I thought when they go back in time, um, those shots. I mean, it's not 
particularly effects heavy. I didn't think this was really effects heavy. It's mostly like, uh, well, it's mostly just takes place in natural settings. But to me, the thing that I think about when I think of this movie is that the track, you know, and the uh, and the vehicle, which is the, they wait to reveal, which I think is actually really good. Um, and that the underground, you know, bunker that the time thing is in and how industrial and um just scientific i guess that place looks i think like that's like the best part of the effects for me for that it's great it's a great production design on that uh and do you know what that reminds me of do you do you recall sega cd back in the day do you remember that yeah. system do you remember sewer rat yeah sewer it rat. reminds mm-hmm. me of fucking sewer rat that game sewer it's kind of like that yeah. and, and what mm-hmm. they were going towards in the the vehicle that they were in and that's a very obscure reference that people from well, our generation hey, might get let me let me ask you a question thinking about logic here where does the vehicle go? Oh God, I didn't even think about that. Good call. <laughs> like they're in a vehicle, they leave, they show up in the other, and they show up in time. There's no vehicle. When they return, they return in the vehicle. Where the fuck is the vehicle at? And when they return, the vehicle's going up the opposite way on a different track, yeah. presumably. Explain that shit yeah, to me. Okay. Like, I'd like you're... to know yeah. that. But, but, um. I'll mention it now uh, because we're going to have to talk about it at some point. The fucking made-for-TV sequel of this, I think, uses that vehicle uh, stuff really cool. I'm glad that you brought that up. You're talking about Time Cop 2, The Berlin Decision, with Jason Scott Lee and Thomas Ian yes. Griffith. Yeah. That that actually is a pretty Which decent follow-up. Which is a solid film, yes. Yeah, it really is. Straight, I think to it's... Div- straight to a video or whatever, so don't get your hopes up too high. But like I say, I really like the way they use the uh, the vehicle in that movie. I thought that was cool. They really use it as like a central set piece almost to like kind of drive home that this is Time Cop. And not only that, that movie came out nine years after Time Cop was released and after that failed television show. And that direct-to-TV mm-hmm. sequel is better than the television show that came out in its wake, in my opinion. And uh, it's rather hard to find now. I, I think it's kind of rare on DVD. It's, it hasn't, it's not available widely, I think, probably for rights issues. It's probably relatively cheap on eBay if you wanted to find it and yeah. buy it. But um Do you know what else is relatively yeah. tri- cheap on eBay you can find is the old uh, Super Nintendo game of time cop which actually wasn't mm-hmm. a bad uh player you know role player game back in the day I, I liked that one it was okay yeah yeah that was i remember renting it a couple times and playing it but then again anything with van damme in it we were just dying for as kids i mean if they had officially sponsored a video game that had van damme in it we would have gone apeshit yeah. for it i mean i know they had that one street fighter version like a cd-rom with with some characters from the movie but it just was shit and it, it didn't look good um, right, they had Street Fighter the game, right? I loved the game, the, the, which was um, I love Dragon the Bruce Lee movie game for Super Nintendo because you can be Bruce <laughs> Lee and kick the shit out of people. It was but fucking isn't that badass. That, like that, that was a uh, I, such a fucking weird game that that exists. I, I still think that's weird because we don't we would never get that today. That was like a a game from a quasi like. It's not really a bi- documentary, but it's like movie. a fucking yeah, it's a just weird shit like a biopic fucking video game. Like what the hell? Yeah, it's there's no way. It'd be like if Tom Brady came out with a, a biopic and they made a fucking game based on that, like a football game based on the movie. It's just like what? It's so weird. Um, but it's it's it was fun to, to to go back and watch this movie. In in my opinion, I hadn't seen this in a long time, and I think you were watching it, and I said, "Fuck, I want to watch that." And so I I busted out yeah. the old DVD just, and uh, and actually I busted out the YouTube. DVD and I didn't watch the DVD because it's not. Uh, it didn't fit the entire screen. 
It's not anamorphic. It's not anamorphic. Yeah, so that's why I watched the Apple uh, digital version I had, and it it's gorgeous. It just looked nice. great. Yeah. Yeah, it looks great in high def. Um, but a lot of those movies do. They're so simple. Um, you know, uh, they're lit simply, especially with Heinz. But um, you know, hard edges. Things used to have hard edges. I don't know stuff. Nowadays, when I look at movies, they don't have that same kind of flatness to. Uh, things used to, to have a slightly blown know. out look. Do you know what I mean? There's a grain, a slightly blown out look to some of the, 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 yeah. the lightings and fixtures in the rooms. And then on top of it, when there was blacks, there was tremendous fall off on corners of the frame in that, in this movie particularly, that oh, yeah. I really well, like. I mean, I, if I've said it once, uh, say it again, uh, digital ruined cinematography for a lot of, for anything dark, like, the, like you can shoot things you can shoot candlelight right on digital and it looks fucking phenomenal well I fucking hate it because everything is so dark now um, they light things so sparingly and back then uh, that's not how it was like it was fucking lit like if you wanted to see it you lit it you know if you didn't want to see it you didn't light it um, it was as simple as that you know and so I do I miss that kind of like the lot of, the more contrasty um you know, I don't know, artistic, even moody uh, stuff that we got. Yeah, back then, and we just don't get that nowadays. Nowadays, everything's made to look like um, I don't know, it's still made to look dreamlike, but it just looks like it's normal life. I don't, I don't like it so much. Well, I think you hit it on the head. It looks like normal life, and these movies look like they were bigger than life. These yeah. actors look like they were larger than life. The, the, I mean, the way that the shadows fall on Van Damme's features in his face. Uh, are very, very well used in this movie, as well as in Sudden Death with the Reds. Uh, with Himes knew how to shoot Van Damme perfectly for these two movies in terms of close-up. I'm not my favorite for the fight scenes, but for the close-ups, he does the best yeah. close-ups of Van Damme's in his movie uh, with, with the sweatiness, with all that. I mean, he's, he gets something out of him that not a lot of other directors had gotten out of him up to this point and arguably past this point. I mean... He did well with JCVD in terms of an acting standpoint, but the movie isn't that great. But for sustained entertainment, I'd have to say that Heim's work with him is his most professional and polished of his entire filmography. I mean, even his return in The Expendables, that's a schlocky movie. You know, that's not a, as polished as <laughs> yeah. something like this or, or uh, even, even the uh, later stuff he would do with Universal, like The Quest is, is shit compared to Time Cop. I mean, when you're working with Himes, it's basically like I a McTiernan, yeah. right? He's like a, he's an intellectual. He's a guy who's yes. well versed in mm-hmm. the arts. He knows. I mean, I don't know how, how much of an intellectual he is, but uh, yeah, his movies are definitely well directed. They're well shot. They look nice. Scripts are uh, again. This is a really dumb movie. Like, like it's pretty stupid. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know so much about that. McTiernan, I think, is a is a little bit better than that, but. And he's got his downs, too. This is the year when True Lies comes out, when Speed is out, mm-hmm. The Specialist, uh, On Deadly well, Ground. So every guy had released a drop zone. Everyone was coming out with their action entry mm-hmm. if you were a big star. And this is the one that really cemented Van Damme as uh, the leader of the the muscles. You know, Keanu Reeves, I think, was viewed as more of a one-off with Speed that people probably didn't think he was going to 
do the Matrix yeah. later. But Van Damme... And he wasn't muscular like these other guys. No, so. I mean, he beefed up for speed, obviously, but he wasn't, you know, the body. He wasn't the same. Yeah. He, yeah. he didn't have the sex appeal that, that Van Damme had. And, um, I mean, just as a kid, every kid I knew loved Van Damme. We all wanted to be Van Damme. Most of us liked Seagal <laughs> as well, but, I mean, Van Damme was the man, you know, in terms of uh, the martial arts guys. Do you think he ever would have achieved Stallone, Schwarzenegger's success if he hadn't have just uh, been locked into these contracts with Universal or with Sony, who he ended up doing a trio of, of really underperforming duds, if he had had a little bit more career yeah, control? Yeah, he, he could have with the right movies, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, he had it. Well, we, you saw you see it right here in the beginning of the 90s into the mid-90s. Um, he had a great run, and then... The movie is just this. Actually, exactly what happened with Stallone and Schwarzenegger. There's no different, right? The movies just uh, weren't the same, you know. And people can you can say as much as, much as you want, like, oh, uh, people got tired of it. They didn't want to see any more Stallone. Like it was, it was, you know, everything has its cycle, so to speak. But look at the movies. Look at the quality of the movies that these guys were doing. Uh, they dramatically fall off towards the end. I and as from someone who's a huge fan. You can't deny it. They just, they do. Yeah, we're both huge fans of, of all these guys. And if you look at their offerings, if you go to like 1999, for instance, and you got Universal Soldier of the Return, you've got, uh, I, mean, I think, Ticker from, from Seagal like, comes out that oh, year. God. Um, you, you got uh, ICU from uh, Stallone is yeah. being shot that year. You got End of Days, which is nowhere near what obviously Terminator 2 is or Total Recall in the beginning of the decade. So it is a steady decline and they were their own worst enemies in a lot of ways because every movie had to be bigger than the last one and outdo the other guy. And while that makes for healthy competition and the audience is rewarded with with great product for the most part, it does get to a point where it becomes, you can't go any bigger and then they just become ridiculous. I mean, do you think, obviously Hollywood... The way studios are run, they do a pretty shit job, I think, of of making movies in general. Um, and I think that's should be pretty obvious if you just look at the times. Like, there's a it's a roller coaster, right? It's a huge ups and downs for across the board for all these guys making movies. And there's definitely a flourishing like writers market at the beginning of the '90s, which is totally destroyed by the end of the '90s. And so I feel like that probably has a lot more to do with this, where there's just not the quality of availability of movies, right? Of ideas and of people writing. Um, and it's not to say that that's a hundred percent, everything, you know, winds up like that, but people have different interests, right? You have Joss Whedon, like coming up in the late nineties. Right. Um, so you have a different writing style. So I guess talent goes in a certain, in an opposite direction of these types of movies. Whereas in the early 90s, you had all the talent was doing these types of movies, doing these action movies. I think you get what you have today, which is that this is the beginning of losing interest in the guy or the actor. And yeah. it becomes about the movie and the franchise with The Matrix and Star Wars being re-released. Oh, but that's, Spider-Man. That's failed, right? I mean, but all that, that, that actually, that was, but that was, that was good. That worked, right, for a while. That doesn't work anymore. Um, 
Be, well, but it doesn't work because of the movies, right? Like Star Wars failed because they made shitty movies. I'm just saying, with, with the Phantom um, Menace back in '99, it was about the franchise. The Matrix was not about Keanu; it was about but the it Matrix. Is. Like, it's about the movie instead of the man. And once you start making it about the the movie hmm. or the character instead of the guy who's portraying, I mean, people went to go see Burt Reynolds movies because it was a Burt Reynolds movie, or a Charles Bronson movie because it was a Bronson movie. They could give a shit what really what the movie was about if they were hoping it was good. Um, but I that doesn't happen that, much I think anymore. That's still, maybe I, with Tom I, I Cruise, maybe with Denzel. With I mean, I would argue with Vin Diesel. That's not true. Certainly with Fast and Furious. I mean, if I'm looking at a standpoint of franchises, um, why did why did Marvel franchise fail? You know, certainly because of casting. You know, that, that was one of the things that propped that those up. But also, they had great movies. And and if I look again at the movies, why is Marvel failing? Well, the movies aren't any good anymore, right? And and they've also lost. All they've lost the guys. Well, and also quality you know, or control. women as well. They've lost all of them. But sure, but and but this is the same thing that happened in the '90s, right? I, I just I don't think it's any different now than it was any other time. But as with everything, like the Hollywood's so risk averse that they this is how you get the cookie cutter stuff, right? Because they they're like this works, we'll just keep doing that until until it doesn't work because they run out of ideas they run out of something right steam something something shifts somewhere and they get fucked and this is i think it's weird now more than it was back then because there was a pivot back then there's no pivot now like i don't where are they gonna go there's they they don't have any talent they have no movies coming out because there was a strike right they had covid it was like it's like the perfect storm for these guys they're starting at zero they might as well be brand new fucking studios um except they're full of execs and stuff who have clearly steered them in the completely wrong direction. So they have, they've got fucking nothing. Like, what are we going to get next? Like what's going to be the next big thing in movies right now? Because it could be anything. Well, when, when is the next person going to come up? That's not a 60 year old man that saves the industry, whether it's Keanu or no Cruz shit. or fucking Innovation. Denzel. I mean, you have nobody that's coming up to save it. And all three of those guys who are the directors put asses in seats. I mean, still. Yeah. You're talking about actors, you know, who are the directors, yeah. who are the actors, you know, very limited right now on talent. Um, innovation takes risk, right? And we have no risk takers. We've learned. Well, that's what, the, again, the cookie cutter stuff, right? They've learned studio control is everything. It makes the greatest movies. Um, and so no risk. We take no risk at all. And now who who are the auteurs? Who are who who is making anything? And it's weird to say Time Cop is fucking art, but mm, it is. It's Peter Hines. Compared to what we've gotten today. Just watch, like I said, watch how he covers no, but, that opening sequence with yes. the guy in the room. It's it's but massively it's undeniably done. Undeniably Peter Himes. Hundred percent. Right? If I watch a movie today, I don't know who the fuck the director is there's no for stamp. most of it. Yeah, there's no stamp I on it. I don't know who this is. I it did it, it well, it's stamped by the studio, right? So yeah, I have to uh, agree to some extent with you that um, we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> hey. on that note, uh, did you enjoy going back and watching Time Cop? I really did. I just, like I said, I, th th we were just watching YouTube. It turned on and nobody turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> That's how movies used to work. I just, I just thought, Ooh, yeah. All right. I'll just let this play. Um, and it was yeah, a lot of fun, a really stupid movie, but turn your brain off. Um, very well directed fun. I thought, and plays out, um, in a nice way, kind of like with the back and for the time travel and stuff and his wife and, um, you know, the steps and the payoffs of the pregnancy and uh, the bad guys. And, like, I like going through the mall twice. You know, I thought that was cool. Yeah. 
Uh, I, yeah. I also love when Matusak the little things. tells the Ricky, if I catch you fucking this machine one more time, I'm going to yes. kill you. Right? I mean, I love that when the guy's yeah. doing the VR sex set, I mean, which is just uh, hilarious with the things that this thing uh, predicted. And then that guy in the, in, the, in the different future, you know, and he... They, they enlist his help and stuff, and he's a completely different He wants to be called Richard. Um, person. He's all uptight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> completely it. different person. Yeah, yeah. So I like that kind of aspect of it. Like, they definitely had fun with the time stuff, even if they it doesn't make any sense. It, it, still, uh, it still works out. So. And it's a lighthearted film, uh, especially compared to something right. like Strange Days, which is very heavy-handed and oh, that's uh, <laughs> deals with some of the same very different yeah. uh, ideas. But uh, you know, I, I, this whole futuristic, goofy sci-fi stuff—I I lumped this one in with Judge Dredd and a couple of other ones that I, I like over the years. But not to be taken too seriously, but a fun time, and uh, I'm glad we went back and looked at this. This is available currently on YouTube if you guys uh, are listening to this around the time that we release it. Uh, if not, obviously it's available on all streaming services and uh, it's widely available on DVD if you still are. And Blu-ray. And Blu-ray, yeah, if you're out there collecting physical media still. Get the Blu-ray. Apparently get the Blu-ray because you got the DVD. It's not not, yeah, it's not, not even anamorphic, yeah. So don't do. So although, unless you got a CRT TV, don't bother with that shit. It is an old school uh, double feature Walmart flipper that had that yeah, in Bloodsport, so it might. Uh, they did re-release on DVD, I think. I want to say I don't know. I hope they did because that was a my laser disc was the cleanest version I had of this. It was widescreen but, uh, back yeah, in the day. Yeah, but again, you're only going to watch that on CRT. And you need to watch a Peter Himes film in widescreen. Um, actually, I own this. I own the widescreen laser disc of this as well. Any mm. any Himes film suffers greatly in pan and scan. It's hard. Oh yeah, they're to get usually uh, um, yeah uh, the way that he constructs shots and things. Much like Cameron, like if you, well, that's why can't well, that's why pan and scan was invented to some extent, right? Because of Cameron. Um, yeah, because it was because some of these guys frame for the big screen, and you'll never a, a lot of stuff doesn't work out that way. But some of the, like Cameron and, and Himes, if you watch um, the difference between the full screen and widescreen is is huge, pretty drastic. Huge. We want to thank you guys for joining us. As always, like uh, the the podcast, rate it, review it, wherever platform you're listening to it goes a long way in helping us and uh, keeping the show going. Speaking for Trevor Anderson, I am Jason Rugard, and we are the Movie Mavericks.